Today, we will be on the stage of AUA 2018 for the second opinion case on erectile dysfunction. Good morning, it's a great pleasure to be here. I want to thank the AUA board, Dr. Denstedt and Dr. Meacham, for this great honor to be able to present to you the AUA ED guidelines, uh, which we will be doing in case uh, presentation um, <clears throat> format. These are the disclosures for our, our panel. Our panel consists of uh, Dr. Bud Burnett, Chris Nelson, and Dr. Um, Schindel. This is a list of the AUA male sexual dysfunction panel members, of which uh, Dr. Burnett was the co-chair. So I'm going to ask Dr. Burnett to start us off by talking a little about the background of the uh, ED guidelines. Thank you, Bud. Thank you, Larry. Uh, good morning. Uh, Ladies, gentlemen, members, and guests, uh, let me present to you uh, some background on the guidelines. By way of purpose, uh, the, the uh, guideline is uh, designed to provide a clinical framework for the diagnosis and treatment of ED. The strategies that are recommended in this document were derived from evidence-based processes and a multidisciplinary panel consisting of general urology, surgical urology, psychology, and patient advocacy. The most effective approach for a particular patient is best determined by shared decision-making, and this will be emphasized throughout our discussion today, uh, by the individual clinician and patient in the context of that patient's history, values, and goals for treatment. So by way of definition, erectile dysfunction is defined as a consistent or recurrent inability to attain and or maintain an erection sufficient for sexual satisfaction. It may be organic, psychogenic, or mixed in etiology. It may involve vascular, neurologic, endocrinologic, and iatrogenic factors. And there may be a, a psychogenic and relational aspect to this. ED is often associated with interpersonal and relationship stress, and this will also be discussed throughout our presentation this morning. Briefly, by way of methodology, we conducted a systematic review of English language-based publications with various databases from 1965 uh, through July of 2017, yielding almost 1,000 publications that we, th we thought were relevant for this review. The evidence strength uh, was classified as A, B, or C, corresponding to high, moderate, or low confidence, and recommendations were derived as either clinical principle or expert opinion when there was evidence that was insufficient. Recommendations were graded uh, as strong, moderate, or conditional corresponding to situations in which a risk-benefit or benefit-risk uh, ratio is substantial, moderate, or unclear. Briefly, uh, just a couple highlights with regard to some of the, the guideline statements by way of diagnosis. Men presenting with symptoms of ED should undergo a thorough medical, sexual, and psychosocial history physical examination and selective laboratory testing, and we thought that this represented a clinical principle. Men should be counseled that ED is a risk marker for underlying cardiovascular disease and other health conditions that may warrant evaluation and treatment, also thinking this is a clinical principle. In men with ED, warning serum total testosterone levels should be measured, and this was given a moderate recommendation evidence level C. Treatment. For men being treated for ED, referral to a mental health professional should be considered to promote treatment adherence, reduce performance anxiety, and integrate treatments into a sexual relationship, moderate recommendation. Clinicians should counsel men with ED who have comorbidities known to negatively affect erectile function, 
that lifestyle modifications, including changes in diet and increased physical activity, will improve overall health and may improve erectile function. Again, moderate recommendation. And then men with ED should be informed of all approved treatment options, including PDE5 inhibitors, vacuum erection devices, intracavernous injections, intraurethral suppositories, and penile prostheses, a theme that we'll be discussing here that we do think that all options could be considered potentially first line depending upon a patient's presentation and again, shared decision making. So we're gonna use case presentations to highlight these issues. Our first case, LR, is a 33-year-old gentleman with a six-year history of difficulty maintaining erection, severe distress, a shim score of five. He's no current relationships due to anxiety about sexual performance, uh, and last relationship ended in part due to some sexuality issues. He's tried multiple PD-5 inhibitors without benefit and comes into your office requesting platelet-rich plasma. His past urologic history is significant for a right-sided undescended testicle as a neonate, uh, symptom score of 035. His history is otherwise unremarkable. On examination, he's six foot two, normal blood pressure, somewhat anxious, neurologically intact, with an uncircumcised, otherwise normal phallus and normal prostate exam, and his blood exams laboratories were normal. So, Dr. Nelson, how would you proceed well, in working so, up this patient? Yeah, and so I mean, I think it's so. So it's very common to see high distress in young men with ED like this. So this is a 33-year-old hasn't been confident in his erections for about six years. So it's already negatively impacted his relationship, and you can see it's actually leading to avoidance of dating and pursuing sexual relationships. So very common to see high distress. When he's out with his friends, his friends are talking about sex, they're talking about their relationships, they're probably talking about how big of a stud they are, and this man is just outside the conversation uh, feeling probably shamed uh, and alone and feeling more anxious about his next sexual experience. So oftentimes in men like this, young men like this, uh, ED is psychogenic. There's a cycle of anxiety. So the psychological stressors actually trigger a physical response. Once that physical response is triggered, it's a, a highly potent anti-erectile agent. And so almost impossible for men to get erections when they're highly anxious like this. And so what happens is a man enters a sexual situation and he's hypersensitive on his erections. He's thinking, what's happening with my erections? Is it, is it getting hard? Is it not getting hard? Okay, it's kind of getting hard. Wait, it's going down a little bit. And the anxiety starts to build and then that, that anxiety triggers a physical reaction. And then you can imagine that one sexual experience in a young man like this when difficulty with erections, so either due to something like alcohol stress or fatigue, can lead to this cycle of anxiety, leading to more anxiety in the next sexual experience, leading to difficulty with erections. And so in this situation, very helpful to combine the medical treatments to help on the medical side, but also psychological treatments to help reduce the anxiety during the sexual experience and then reduce the anxiety about entering into a sex sexual experience and reducing the avoidance of dating. So the management really is a, a thorough evaluation of the psychosexual his history and recommendation for a consultation with a mental health professional. So penile duplex ultrasound recommended to assess the vascular integrity of the penis. So advised on the treatment options and importantly here instructed on the proper dosing and dose titration of PD-5 inhibitor. Potentially he could have been using it incorrectly. And then really important, uh, counsel that PRP should be considered experimental, and I'm not sure that anyone on the panel would consider that in this situation. Dr. Schindel, any comments? 
Uh, yeah, I really like what uh, Dr. Nelson had to say. I find that many patients with ED, particularly young patients who come in, are very resistant to the notion that there's any psychological or relationship element to their presenting complaint. And I find that articulating the message that Dr. Nelson did is that this is a physiological response. Yes, it relates to anxiety and stress, but your body's sympathetic nervous system will activate, you'll release adrenaline, adrenaline is a vasoconstrictor, and that's going to make it more difficult to get an erection. And when I explain it in those terms, I've oftentimes found that patients are much more receptive to considering a mental health consultation, or at least not dismissing it outright. So I find that a very effective approach with young patients particularly. Uh Yes, I would underscore the same points. Uh, certainly, the, the remark here about doing a diagnostic test, I think, is helpful. Uh, I think that's worth uh, at least mentioning uh, that uh, though ultrasound may not be imperative, doing it may help with the assessment of the patient to help him understand that his function is intact. And I find this to be very valuable in some of these uh, cases uh, to help reassure the patient and move that case forward. So this patient did undergo a penile ultrasound, which showed normal vascular parameters. He was followed up as a sex therapist for six biweekly sessions. At 12 weeks, he, sexual anxiety had decreased. He had started to date. A PD-5 prescription was given for maintenance and assistance with sexual encounters, but he did not require or request any further experimental therapies. Our next case, GH is a 54-year-old gentleman with a three-year history of difficulty maintaining erection. He denies deformity of the penis, has moderate distress, shim score of 12. He's in a stable relationship with his wife of 25 years who denies any sexual issues. He's tried sildenafil 50 milligrams twice without efficacy. His urologic history is a symptom score of 5 of 35. His past medical history is for diabetes and hypertension. He's on lisinopril, hydrochlorothiazide, metformin. His past surgical history is for a uh, hernia repair and a fundoplication. Examination, his blood pressure 157 over 98. He's neurologically intact. His GU examination is otherwise relatively unremarkable. His A1C 7.7, cholesterol slightly elevated. All other labs were within normal range. Um, how would you proceed with this? Yeah, this is, this is a very common case, and I think it illustrates fundamentally how in many ways patients referred to see us for erectile dysfunction have oftentimes not really been adequately assessed by their primary care provider who might have just given them a script for Viagra and sent them out the door. Two important points, and I like to emphasize this with all of my ED patients, that fundamentally erections are a vascular phenomenon, and vascular health really underpins the erection process. That's important for prevention of ED, and also, interestingly enough, we do have data to support the notion that making positive lifestyle changes in terms of diet, exercise, stress management, tobacco cessation, all of these things can have subtle but significant impacts upon erection function. The study that I like to discuss with my patients is the Esposito 2009 study looking at men with metabolic syndrome, randomized to either standard of care or an intensive lifestyle change program. And over the two-year uh, course of this study, it was determined that men who were able to reach vascular uh, milestones in terms of improving their weight eating better, getting more exercise, actually did have substantial improvements in erection function. It was in some cases subtle, but in all cases it was significant. And beyond improving sexual life, these men also probably are going to have more longevity, more health, better quality of life going forward. So I see ED as a really potent lever, motivating men to make positive vascular choices in terms of their lifestyle. Another important point from this case a lot of patients aren't informed on how to take these drugs properly. And since shortly after they were released, it was known that a lot of men aren't instructed on the need for dosing, the need for sexual stimulation, 
the need to really take these pills the right way and give them a decent number of chances before it's, uh, resigning themselves to failure. So counseling has been shown in this study from 2003 to really salvage a good number of cases of, quote, PDE5 inhibitor failures. So that's really the considerations for this particular case. So this case, particular guidelines that are relevant, obviously counseling on lifestyle modification and means to improve erectile function and general health. We did recommend obtaining a morning testosterone level given this patient's vascular morbidity and erectile issues. We offered, as is our standard, consultation with a mental health professional, instructed them on the proper use of these drugs, and then, of course, also discussed the other available options for managing ED. So, Dr. Nelson, any other comments? Well, yeah, and I, you know, it, I just want to bring in the, the psychological relationship aspects here. And so, you know, this is a man who's been married for 25 years, so that'll be protective to some extent in terms of the relationship issues. But, you know, think about what's happening with them in the bedroom. And so, he, for the last three years, he's potentially been trying and hasn't been able to get an erection probably feels upset, frustrated, and ashamed, um, probably has um, some stress. His wife has picked that up for sure, and his, and his wife is probably pulling away from the sexual relations because she doesn't want to put pressure on him. He's pulling away from sexual relations because he doesn't feel like a man anymore. Um, and ultimately, you can treat the ED, but those stress and relationship issues are still present. And so this is a case that actually um, getting the man's erection back might be the easiest part of this case, depending on what's happening with the couple. The more difficult part is actually helping the couple use that erection again in sexual experience. And so very important to think about that as you're treating ED. And that's why we've really kind of, we've really highlighted this notion of, of consultation with a mental health professional to help these other aspects in terms of working with ED. Dr. Burnett? Yeah, I would, just, I would just like to emphasize, I think, the role that the patient has. I think the patient has a, a, a role in the management of their erectile dysfunction, proactivity with regard to lifestyle, diet, decreasing cigarette smoking, uh, improving weight status, and all these sorts of uh, activities, I think, are very important. So, again, I think that this, our, our, our guideline here makes the point that the patient and partner have a bigger role, and this also emphasizes that. The outcome of this patient had a testosterone of 340. He was enrolled in a weight loss program and over three months experienced a 20-pound weight loss with improvement in body image. He declined further mental health evaluation. He repeated a trial of PD-5s with dose titration and proper administration with an improved erectile response sufficient for intercourse. Our next case, BP is a 67-year-old gentleman with a 10-year history of difficulty attaining erections since his radical prostatectomy. He's moderate psychological distress, shim score of seven, recently widowed, has though started dating a new female partner, so his desire to manage his ED is increased. He's not yet used any ED therapies, but he comes in interested in, in implantation of a penile prosthesis, but he states he doesn't like taking medications. His urologic history is significant prostate cancer. Um, he had, a ten, had his prostate surgery 10 years ago. His medical history is listed here. He's on lovastatin. On examination, his blood pressure is 140 over 85. He's a pleasant gentleman with neurologically intact. He has a midline nodule in the phallus, otherwise uh, empty uh, fossa on rectal exam. His testosterone is 256. PSA is undetectable. So, Dr. Burnett, how would you manage this patient? Well, you know, by way of discussion here, I think this is a gentleman that would be a candidate, even as first line, to consider penile prosthesis surgery, which uh, we've been reluctant to do in the past. 
although I think that uh, he certainly exemplifies a category of a patient, a patient population that may not do well with uh, oral medication, at least, and perhaps other options. So I think that prosthesis implantation can be successful, not only in the general ED population under that kind of paradigm, but considering special populations in particular, uh, it would be worthwhile uh, bringing this to discussion. After all, uh, the, the data has, has shown with a nice uh, report here of uh, 415 men with ED after radical prostatectomy uh, evaluated before and three months after implantation that there has been significant improvement across various uh, uh, outcomes in terms of satisfaction and all domains of the International Index of Erectile Function. So I think it's important to underscore how this could be an important option for this man, uh, and rather than considering what's been documented in the past is that there's been as much as a six-year delay in getting patients who have ED after prostatectomy managed successfully uh, with an option that will work for them. Realistic preoperative expectations are associated with a higher postoperative satisfaction. I think that's important to emphasize. That's part of our discussion points. A nice study shown here was one in which 21 men receiving preoperative counseling about penile appearance in terms of the girth, the length, the expectation with the penile prosthesis performance and functionality were surveyed for their expectations before and four months after implantation. And what this study did find was those who had lower or actually more realistic preoperative expectations it correlated with higher satisfaction scores after surgery. So again, the emphasis here is on counseling men well uh, so that they can derive satisfaction in moving forward with this option. So this gentleman received a thorough evaluation of psychosexual history uh, supported by guidelines, advised on management options. All options were brought to the table uh, with the pros and cons. Uh, penile duplex ultrasound was recommended to assess vascular integrity of the penis. What's useful here is perhaps to help it show that his, his function maybe is this poor and how he may have a more severe form of ED and be a candidate for penile prosthesis surgery. He was advised on postoperative expectations after penile implant, again, supported by guidelines. So, Dr. Schindel, any comments do you have to make? It's an interesting case, and I think what distinguishes it in some fashions is that in this case you're talking about a man who wants to proceed immediately to the most invasive and perhaps aggressive form of ED therapy. The guidelines differ in some ways from prior guidelines in that there isn't really a rank order or an algorithm or progression that your patients are expected to go through. So it is considered valid according to the most recent guidelines to proceed immediately to infl inflatable penile prosthesis if that's what the patient in fact desires. Now, I think in many cases, that's not going to be what happens. In fact, the vast majority of cases are probably best managed with some other initial form of therapy that's less invasive. But certainly, we want all options to be on the table at the very time of presentation so patients can make their own decisions about what's the best step for them. Chris? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so just, just playing devil's advocate on this case. So, so all options are on the table, but why not start with something less invasive? Um, you know, clearly this is a man, so 10-year history, radical prostatectomy, straight. There's a good chance that, you know, the, the, the ultrasound comes up um, pretty poor for this man. But, he, uh, but why not try something less invasive is, is my question. Well, Chris, you make a good point, and I think you could do that. I think it's certainly an option that the patient can hear to go through a stepwise pa process that we've done in the past, but at the same time, understand what are the likelihood of success with various options, and that he does have the alt option of considering an, a more effective therapy first line. And so, 
And so, so let's just take this case. Let, let's say the ultrasound actually comes out relatively normal. Would that change your management? If the ultrasound, the, 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 you know, the vascular, vascularity is, is relatively normal, would that change well, your management? Well, your... certainly that could be part of the discussion. Uh, that his findings suggest that he may not have a severe form of erectile dysfunction. But again, I think we bring all of these points to the discussion with the patient and help that patient understand what he feels is the most effective therapy for him. I think in some sense it's also a situation where the patient comes in saying, I don't want to take medicines, and certainly you would want to probe that to some extent, understand where that trepidation or resistance comes from and if, there, if it's valid or if there might be a way to kind of reassess that possibility. But Dr. Burnett brought up an important point earlier about how the, the average delay between, say, radical prostatectomy and getting to effective therapy, in some cases, penile prosthesis, may be as much as six years. And you're thinking about the loss of six years of potentially satisfying sexual function with options that may or may not be satisfactory. So I think you really have to engage the patient and make sure that let's say you're not starting with the most effective option or perhaps the most likely to succeed. You do want to keep close tabs on the patient, make sure they follow up, and make sure you're not losing time uh, with therapies that may or may not be effective. So this patient did undergo penile duplex testing, showed very poor vascular parameters bilaterally. He had a 40-degree dorsal curvature. He did ultimately opt to go to have a penile prosthesis placed, which was a three-piece device, and his curvature was significantly improved. At six weeks post-op follow-up, he's been using the device and plans to become sexually active, and so far is satisfied with his management decision. Our last case, CM, is a 27-year-old with a seven-year history of difficulty attaining erection since a motor vehicle accident. It's caused moderate distress. He's a SHIMP score of 15. His male domestic partner denies any sexual issues. He has used sildenafil, vardenafil, tadalafil, and a vacuum uh, device with a very inadequate response. He refuses intracorporeal injection therapy as a management option. However, he does desire the ability to engage in penetrative intercourse. His urologic history is significant for a pelvic fracture with ure urethral injury due to, the in due to the accident. His hypothyroid is on thyroid supplementation, and surgical history is noted above. Examination uh, is normal blood pressure, six foot four, pleasant affect, neurologically intact with a otherwise normal G uh, uh, rectal examination in phallus. His laboratory studies um, were completely normal from his primary doctor when he was referred, although there was no initial assessment of testosterone. So Dr. Schindel, how would you proceed with this gentleman? It's an interesting case, and, and, and frankly, we see a fair number of patients who come in asking about or referred for consideration of vascular surgery, and despite having several decades of these procedures being in, in the spotlight and being talked about, the data unfortunately remain very limited. And the most recent standard operating procedures from the ISSM came back with a grade D recommendation, saying certainly it is an option, it can be considered, they set a relatively broad category in terms of who was a candidate for it, up to any man less than 55 who was otherwise healthy. And, and frankly, I would say you probably should set this number even lower. It's going to be a very rare patient who is actually a candidate for any kind of vascular surgery for ED. That's not to say they don't exist, but you should probably not expect to find very many of them in routine practice. So the revascularization approach is something that is, is favored uh, as an option that does exist. It's also important to note that the assessment is usually a multi-step process. So uh, du duplex ultrasound is the first step. There are intricacies and subtleties to the performance of this test that can make it very challenging and subject to user error and also just uh, issues that may be occurring on a given day for a given patient. So repeat assessment is important. 
And we have plenty of data to suggest that, in fact, on repeat assessment, many men who may appear to be candidates for revascularization surgery or other venous surgery for ED are not, in fact, candidates on reassessment. So bottom line, the majority of patients who you see in practice will probably not be candidates for revascularization or venous surgery for ED. Not to say you shouldn't consider it, but bear in mind that it is a rare patient in whom it is actually indicated in the current era. So in this particular case, uh, we did assess AM testosterone as recommended. Penile duplex obviously of critical importance in this case where you might be considering some sort of revascularization procedure. Mental health evaluation always worthwhile, and certainly in a young man uh, with ED and this history, it's going to be particularly important. And then review of all the available options that exist for medical management of ED was essential. I can cut them up now. Dr. Nelson, any other comments? Yeah, and so, you know, this is, this is a really interesting medical case, right? And so from a medical perspective, it's challenging, it's interesting for you. And I just want you to think about what's happening with this young man outside of your consult room. So this is a 27-year-old who hasn't been able to really get erections for the past seven years. He's in a relationship, most likely extremely distressed about this, most likely worried about what's happening with his partner. He's worried if his partner's cheating on him. He's expecting his partner to cheat on him. There is distress. There's probably relationship issues. And kind of with the management, the medical management piece, is, is we're hopefully helping him get his erections back this notion of helping him also get his life back is going to be very important. How he works within his relationship, how he gets his sexual confidence back is going to be essential for him to actually use like, the really excellent medical management that you guys can provide. But uh, <clears throat> This is a very nice case that illustrates the point here about penile revascularization. Alan described this well, uh, that uh, while this has gotten attention, I can tell you my office, some p older patients with comorbidities come in and say, can I get this sort of procedure? And I think it's important for us, as I think uh, the guidelines would state that, yes, we want the, pa the patient to help us uh, when discussed among options, figure out what makes sense for him, but we still need to give him proper guidance. And the, and the guidelines should make the point that it is this relationship shared decision. We provide uh, the guidance while we still uh, hear what the patient wants. And, and a patient who would not be a good candidate for this, we would not want this to go forward. And we'd have to tell the patient it would not be successful. So this patient had a normal testosterone. His ultrasound study, his peaks of stock velocities were 10 centimeters on the left, normal on the right. And the stock velocities are normal bilaterally. On selective internal uh, pudendal arteriogram, he had a focal one centimeter stenosis of his internal pudendal. And he was referred by, uh, to a specialist in penile revascularization surgery, as well as a mental health professional. So I think in summary, the 2017 AUA guidelines are designed to help clinicians diagnose and treat erectile dysfunction according to the best level of evidence. Patients should be informed of all available treatment options and select the option that's most aligned with their condition, goals, and risk tolerance. A stepwise approach to treatment is not always the, in the best interest of the patient or the partner mental health evaluation, involvement of the partner when possible, and advice on general health and well-being should be considered standard components in the holistic management of erectile dysfunction. Thank you very much.